Hello and welcome to the CAPE podcast, CAPE standing for the Child Abuse Prevention and Education Podcast. My name is Christy McVie and I am an ex-West Australian police officer who spent 10 years with the police where I was trained as a specialist child interviewer and a child abuse detective. This podcast is all about sharing what I learned, saw and knew whilst investigating child sexual abuse in the police force. It is also about sharing the knowledge that I gained in that time that helped me with my own parenting of my then two-year-old daughter. My mission is to help share my knowledge and to help you in your role as parents to keep your kids safe along with guest experts in the field of child abuse prevention and education, both in person and online. Thank you so much for joining in on the fight to prevent child sexual abuse. Your kids will thank you for it. Okay, welcome back to the Operation Cape Cast. I am with the wonderful, and I cannot say your name properly because of my really terrible Australian English, but Sergio is how we would say it in Australia. Um, Sergio, Serge is from Spain, but actually has had a really interesting, really interesting career in lots of places and a lot of ways. And um, Serge and I contact or connected on LinkedIn and we have some really interesting, well, we we very much agree with each other on some things. And, and the reason why we connected on LinkedIn is because I posted about my experiences within, uh, you know, as an ex-police officer with PTSD and with my experiences of child sexual abuse and, and vicarious trauma. And Serge has uh, got some experience in that as well. And we're going to talk about that now. You were just telling me about a little bit about your history and, and how you fell into, well, we'll get to that in a second. So what what led you, or you were just saying that you started in fashion and then you've been all over the world, uh, but then you, well, I'll get you to explain it. I won't tell anymore because I don't want to ruin the surprise, but <laughs> where did you start <laughs> out in regards to your career and and you know, you were just explaining so much. So I said, let's stop that and let's press record. Here we are. Okay. Thank thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, My career is very random. Like, I think that I've been bumping into different things all over the place, like while traveling to different countries because of work. Like, I started my professional career as a fashion footwear designer to later on become a graphic designer and then move to children's book illustration. So I've done very different things in my life. <clears throat> but the real beginning of my professional career, what I call my baptism in this field was five years ago when I moved to Dublin in Ireland. Like I started working for YouTube through a third party company that was doing review of content And I discovered that there was a project called Child Safety. And that child safety entailed working with images and videos that were displaying child sexual abuse in very disturbing ways. But I felt really attracted to it because, first of all, I have personal experiences when I was a child. I have friends that have been through really, really tough times as well because of the same subject. And apart from that, I felt very compelled, like everything that I've been doing in my life, it's been very much appearance focus. Yeah. So I wanted to do something that felt that was meaningful, that felt that was fulfilling. Not that I would say that I was making a difference, but at least that I would do something for myself that felt right. Yeah. So 
I started working with child safety teams dealing with season. Yeah. And I'm talking about hardcore season. Yeah. So um, CSAM, just so people who we just so people don't uh, who are listening if they've never heard that term before, what's CSAM? It means it's an acronym that describes child sexual abuse material. It's yeah. the way it is described, so it doesn't fall into a different category, which is being how it's been labeled for yeah. the last year as child pornography, which it doesn't really describe what no. you are seeing because the children in the pictures they are not part of what they are doing. Yeah. So therefore, it has to be labeled in a different way, and within that category. It falls like grooming, extortion, self-generated content, yep. the newly found CG season content that you can see thanks to AI and many other categories. So I've been working in projects related to that for Google, for YouTube. And later on in my life, I focus more in becoming a liaison for law enforcement. So yep. I was working with NECMEC, IWF, Interpol, yep. and other different organizations that they were sending either referrals, requests, yeah. or many other different things that we will have to deal on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. That was the part in which I was working for big tech companies, but I was lucky enough that a company from Israel that was doing the same, but more proactively yes. hired me. So I work in Tel Aviv and just jumping back and forth from Dublin and Tel Aviv doing the same, but more in the proactive side, doing investigations, yeah. hunting predators and pedophiles, and looking for the content that they were posting. Later on, I've been doing consultancy, thanks to the recession that we've been facing. Mm. Everything that I've been doing has been pro bono, like I've been lucky enough that I can afford to do that. And working with governments, NGOs, and individuals that are concerned and that are deeply motivated to fight this fight that's yeah. in a nutshell what i've yeah. been doing you i mean it's so interesting because before we press record you were telling me that you know you worked in fashion it was really you know you you realized that that wasn't actually filling your cup and making you feel good you worked in you know aged care when you fell into a job there and then you worked in and then here you are falling into a job where with youtube and then now you are a massive uh, voice in regards to you know AI um, you know child exploitation material you know the the fact that a lot of these uh, technology companies aren't doing enough and um, you know and there's a big gap in the in the system right now so I I applaud you for taking on such a big role um, so with regards to your with regards to your career in this space and your and you just said that you're now doing consulting and and stuff like that what what have you seen change over the last five five years or so what what's been different that or is it changing uh well that has two sides there are two sides of that coin like one of the things that i've seen was that during the pandemic how self-generated content became something very prominent something that out of the blue appear we we didn't expect it like we didn't know what to do with it and we had to start classifying the content and feeding the machine learning models that we were working with in parallel with the reviewers we had to start changing our approach because we really didn't know what was going on yeah so that was one of the things that has changed saying that with the advent of ai 
like the creation of season material with the help of these models. It's something that we never saw before and we need to adjust and adapt to it. And for me, that's a real threat that not many people are addressing or if they are addressing it, it's a bit late because yeah. this is something that has been going on for months. Um, it kind of scares me and baffles me to see that people are like, oh, this is a threat. And we're like, no, it's not. It's been a threat for months. Yeah. Like if you don't know that, it's because you are either not up to date or because you claim to be an expert, but you are not, which is something yeah. that we should talk in a different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but, but for me, for me, that's one of the things that has changed. Like the other one would be the whole, I know nobody, Christy. Like I've been working in this field for five years. And I suppose that that gives me a very different perspective from people that have been working for many more years than me. Yeah. And I have made, I've made lots of friends working in law enforcement, in different government agencies, or even from the European Union. Yeah. And what really baffles me is that nobody seems to realize that there's a systemic problem. Yeah. Like if you have big tech companies improving the reporting mechanisms and their software detection systems so you can report 32 millions of pieces of content to NECMEC, but NECMEC has nothing to do with it because they don't have the ability, the capacity, or the tools to handle that quantity. They rely on law enforcement, but the law enforcement is understaffed and under, I'm completely overwhelmed. So yeah. the only thing that they can do is to deal with 0.0.1 of that content. Gosh. And I'm not talking even about filtering the content and getting rid of memes or other pieces of content that are completely useless. Because I was the one classifying that content and I know what is going on inside the belly of the beast. But yeah. if that's the whole system, and how it's working, that's a catch-22. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. So instead of seeing a decrease in the number of reports, what you see is that every single year that goes by, the number keeps increasing and increasing. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious to me that there's a problem, but yeah. nobody talks about it. And that's well, what really concerns me. I agree. And so for the, for the listeners at home who are everyday people who haven't heard some of these terms before, so let's let's explain some of the terms you use. So self-generated content is, uh, and I talk about this in um, when I do presentations to community organisations and to parents. So self-generated content, just quickly, what what is that? Self-generated content will fall into the category of content that it's created by the user. It's user-generated content, what the platforms call UGC, like. The problem with that content is that it's content that it's coerced. Like coerced, it's not yeah. content that you freely create. Yeah. Like there's someone behind the screen that it's grooming you and manipulating you so you can create the content for them. Yeah. So they can give they can receive pleasure from what you create. So and that's, that's children. That's basically children. Yeah. And what yeah. I saw in the um, International Watch Foundation. They, you know, they do a report every year and last year's report got re released, you know, a couple of months ago 
And there was, you know, the children uh, from 7 to 10 and 11 to 13 were the bit and girls were the highest amount of children being creating self-generated content. So children creating their own nudes, their own videos directed by the perpetrator, the predator, and then sending it across, um, you know, the internet to whoever it is. And these are the things that you were seeing when you were working in these companies with Google and, and with YouTube. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it's kind of a link. Like you have the grooming and then you have this extortion that follows the grooming, yeah. which I think that it's an epidemic that you are currently suffering in Australia. Like Australia not is, only yeah. in Australia and in the United States as well. Like you see these things happening and people don't really understand what is going on. But this requires a process. Like this is not something that happens out of the blue. No. Like you need someone that is proactively creating fake accounts, making themselves post as a teenager or as yeah. an underage person, so they can create this kind of relationship of trust, yes. in which they can groom the person and tell them to provide them with pictures, with nudes. And then yeah. once they have one nude, screenshot, sextortion. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And we're seeing young people, uh, you know, at taking their own life, the the increased anxiety, stress, depression, problems. I talk about it at length everywhere that I go. So we've, we're seeing increased self-generated material. We're seeing sextortion. And there was another term that you used, and I can't remember. Oh, sorry. Um, it was the artificial intelligence CSAN. So um, just for anyone who hasn't heard that, because a lot of people are not aware what's going on. You've got the, no. you're in the front line, so you know exactly what's happening. But a lot of parents, a lot of people who might listen to this won't actually understand what's going on. So the artificial intelligence, CSAM, what's that? There's a still not a perfect label to define it, but among professionals, we call it CG season computer generated season like what it means is that it could fall into three different categories like you could be creating season thanks to content that you already find on the web like let's say for example that you are scraping the web finding pictures of children and you use those pictures to create your own perversions like yeah. your wildest dreams can be created using a text to image model in which you are feeding the model with these images of children, that will be the first use. The second will be using the faces of the children with different bodies, what before it was called a deep fake. Yeah. Like right now, it's something that you can generate through these text-to-image models. And then the third use, which is the most concerning one for me, is these predators using their database of CSAM like the bundles of images that they already have to teach and train the model so they can create more season with it. So that could be three categories in which you could label that as CG season. Yeah. I've never had anyone explain that to me in that way. So I'm glad that I know that now because I have heard of and I had heard of a case where a father um, had sent his image, his own children's images to someone who created CSAM from his own child's images because obviously he was a predator, um, you know, had interest in that and wanted those videos and he had, I think, from memory, um, had added his child's face 
to the CSAM, the child sexual exploitation material or the child abuse material of another child. So, you know, the fact yeah. is, is that there's still children out there being abused and, and this CSAM is so that any predator can use, you know, like you said, scrape or grab photos from Instagram, uh, Facebook, wherever they, whatever and wherever, put it onto, uh, you know, someone else or another child's exploitation material or another child's abuse material and create their own video of your child being abused, basically. Is that right? That's absolutely right. In in the in the most simplest of terms. And for anyone listening, it's probably a really, really hard to hear, but that's the that's the the impact that we're dealing with. And that's what you were you were dealing with. And I don't think people understand that someone who was in your space or was doing your job, you were sitting there having to watch these images and these videos and categorize them. And I have done that job myself as a child abuse detective. You know, I didn't see probably near as many as you, but you sat there and you had to categorize them. So just for people listening at home, what does, you know, you don't have to explain in great detail, but they go from one one to five, yeah, the categories? Yeah. So depends, do you want to just explain depends, that? Of course. Like it depends on the company. Like different companies have different categories, but what happens is that you have to categorize what you're seeing. Like, the algorithm is detecting nude content and they bring to your cues all that content. And therefore you have to find a way in which you can say what you're seeing. Yeah. So you have different categories, like it depends if you are working for an organization or if mm -hmm. you're working for a big tech company, but usually like the basic categories are A1, A2, B1, yeah. B2. And then you have sexualization of minors, which means that the minor it's shown in a lascivious display, but there's no sexual activity. And then you have CGI that involves different categories of drawings, computer-generated material. Now you have CG CSAM created by AI. Yeah. And then you have, I'm sorry if I'm being... No, no, you're like fine. Bestiality. Yes. Like you have hardcore, like... AI and A, A, A2 and B1 and B2, mainly what it means is pubescent and pre-pubescent. And then you have A1 will be the hardest category, which may mean sexual activity. And then A2 will be lascivious display. Yeah. Those are basically the categories. Yeah. And we've had a conversation or at least a message back and forth on LinkedIn around you know, uh, there was a, a case that I had years, a few, quite a few years ago now where I was going through a child sex offender's computer and he had a collection of um, images of Ukrainian children and, um, you know, and we were having that conversation because I think you posted something about um, like there was a, a modelling ring or they called themselves modelling. LS, LS, LS Magazine. Yeah, and they, they had all of these children that they would become, they would sell to the parents that they're going to create, you know, they're going to become the next best model and whatever, And then, but they were basically exploiting the children and abusing them. And this person had all of this, um, you know, images of these children who were dressed up. They were so young and they were dressed up in lingerie and they were posed as sexually. And as it went on, they, they got worse. And... Um, and I think, uh, you know, the thing is, is that we 
personally, we can't sit by. If you've got a partner or someone you know who is collecting images of children, even in clothes, then there's a problem <laughs> because we no one should want pictures of other children and that's just the beginning of a, a potential problem down the track in my mind. I guess that you have found yourself probably in the same situation as me. Like I have three nieces, two of them, they are turning 13 this very weekend. The other one is six. And I find it really difficult to look at them sometimes. Yeah. Like after everything that I've seen, everything that I've been watching for years, like millions and millions of pictures and videos of children being abused in the worst possible ways. Like you don't see children in the same way after that. Like you're so concerned and so alert about everything that is happening around you. Like your senses, it's like having a spider sense now. Like whenever you see something that doesn't feel right, yeah, it's, you, you can't help it. Like I've been dealing with PTSD for almost one year yeah. after I left working for Big Tick. And it takes a toll. Like you it may does. think that you are very resilient, but it keeps piling up in the back of your mind. And yeah. if you are like me, like I've always been told that I'm a very sensitive person yeah, and very emotional. And I never thought that I would be doing this job, but it's quite the opposite. Like if, if you are not that sensitive, you have not that emotional, yeah. you wouldn't be able to empathize and understand what with it's to children. put yourself in the shoes. Yeah, to put yourself in the shoes of those children with yeah. their dead eyes while they are receiving that, abu that abuse. Yeah. So for me, that's how it works. It works in in layers of priorities. Like, yeah, it's really bad for me. And I know, yeah. I know that this is not normal. But yeah. on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but I want to do it. Like, I, yeah. I want to do something about it. Well, the thing is, is that like you, I can totally relate. When I left the police, it took its toll. It was really hard. Every time I closed my eyes, I saw that. Every time I went, you know, there would be, I would be fine for a day or maybe a couple of days and then it would hit me and I would get a shot, you know, I'd be hiding in my bathroom. There was one particular incident with my PTSD where I had a flashback and I all of a sudden I, I like when I I was in the corner of my bathroom huddled with the lights off crying because I I, I, I couldn't cope and there's and PTSD is a brain injury like I'm three and a half years past so I I, I I'm telling you now it does get better but three and a half years later when and and doing this work this prevention work this awareness work sharing what we know has made it easier I don't know if it, it will and it, it does for everyone else but being on the other side and saying this is what's going on wake up let's help let's prevent this not let's keep doing this like it's it I think that's what makes it has made my job easier in this space is it's made it easier to cope and deal with what I saw and what I what what I was trying to do in the police but 
mate, like I can only imagine what you've seen and um and I I know what you've seen. So I I know I applaud you for it just hanging out there for five years and doing that. But it the problem we're seeing is that the AI that they create, Google, Facebook, whoever, Meta, whatever, it's not it's not adequate enough, is it? And then you have to get a human involved, and the humans are the ones who are you know, five years is a yeah. long time. That's that's the other thing that really annoys me. It's like we are relying so much in AI detection tools and we are getting rid of all our trust and safety teams. The ones that aren't dealing with child sexual exploitation. Like I've seen this trend happening for the last couple of years yeah. when AI has been being implemented little by little. Um, <clears throat> I have plenty of friends that are still working for these companies. Mm. And they tell me that I are completely understaffed and overwhelmed. Like they don't have the means or the capacity to deal with the problem. And that's what really worries me. It's like we are relying on AI when you know that if you don't work in parallel with human reviewers or analysts or investigators or law enforcement, if you are not working with all of them, you won't be able to see the whole picture. No. Like I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Like if you are working with a machine learning model, this model has to be fed with data, either mm. with text-based data or image-based data. But in order to feed with current data, with up-to-date data, that model, you need to have humans, humans yeah. that are able to detect all the nuances. Yeah. Because if you are trying to detect keywords in order to find the content or the accounts, those those keywords they change like they are like a snake they change their skin every so often and if you think that you have a fixated set of keywords that is going to help you to detect the content you are completely wrong and that's yeah. one of the mistakes that these companies are making like mm. unless you have that human capability you won't be able to find that content yeah. And I don't see I don't see that happening. It's quite the opposite. Like we are going in reverse instead of going forward. I agree. I agree. I mean, I um, you know, I started working in police in 2010 and and uh, you know, it was the start of social media, it's the start of all of this stuff. And I know that this stuff, you know, the dark web and what's been going on in the background has been going on for much longer. But you know, as a as a um social media has developed so much in the last 13 years that the fact that we haven't increased the amount of resources available for this stuff is absurd and this is why um i have people say to me uh, and young people especially sextortion victims you know they're like i have reported it but nothing's happened i have reported it but nothing's happened I've, you know people are coming back and forth going i've reported it but nothing's happened because unless the um and this is what i tell them and you might be able to correct me unless it gets reported a certain amount of times a human's not going to even look at it it's all ai until i it's you know hits a certain number or level and then a person an analyst has to look at it but it, that's why you have to get everyone else to come in and actually report the the problem the issue uh with, along with you otherwise no one's going to see it is that right and apart from that, there's no alignment. Like, I'll, I'll try to explain myself. Like, if you are working for a social media company, and I won't name names, like any social media company, if you're working for them, you have a set of guidelines. Yeah. 
like you need policies in order to act within the platform like yeah. in order to flag content report content or receive reported content and then review the content you need to meet certain threshold yeah. but if it doesn't meet the threshold it will go unreported yeah nobody will even see it yeah. and it depends on the guidelines that that big tech company is putting on the table yeah. so if you are law enforcement, you have a set of guidelines. If you are a big tech company, you have a set of guidelines. And if they don't align, yeah, you and have they don't. nothing. And they don't and they align. Don't. <laughs> because, because these companies are like their own countries. Yes. Like they follow their own rules. They don't so have any rules that match it. Why, why would I report something that doesn't follow within my guidelines? Yeah. I'm not going to report to law enforcement. I'm not going to report to Interpol or to NECMEC. And NECMEC is not going to report, therefore, to law enforcement in that county or in that place like because it didn't meet the guidelines. Yeah. So if you are trying to report, and this is something that I bump into many, many times, like someone, a teenager is found a case in which their ex-boyfriend is posting pictures of them in a case of revenge porn, what it's called revenge porn. Yeah, but intimate image like, abuse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So and they are asking you, they are completely desperate. Like yeah. they don't know what to do. And they reach out to you anonymously and they tell you, listen, this is my Google Drive. Someone is taking my pictures. They are posting it on this side. This is me. I don't know what to do. It's destroying my life, my family's life. And it doesn't meet the threshold. Yeah. And you cannot do anything. It's and bloody heartbreaking. You see the suffering on the other side of the screen and you really want to do something, but you can't. Yeah. Because you, I mean, you are not allowed to do it. So what do you do? Like that's the conundrum that you are facing on a daily basis. And then it's a question of time. It's a question of KPIs. Like you have to meet the delivery you have to please the client and the stakeholders. So at the end of the day, it's not about the user. No. And that's... Uh, it's I not about even... protecting people. It's about just hitting your, hitting your KPI, hitting your threshold. And, you know, in Window the police, dressing. it's the same. Yeah. Window dressing. Yeah. That's oh. all about. And that, that was really bothers me because I didn't get into this field for that. No. Like like you were mentioning before, one of the things that really brings me joy is the fact that I can explain in detail when I'm posting on LinkedIn, I can explain in detail what it's really going on and how it really works from behind the curtains. And yeah. I hope that that will bring some awareness. Yeah. That's all I can do. At this point in time, that's all we can, all can do right now is keep keep pulling back the curtain and showing people what's really going on because from a law enforcement side it is really hard to help families and children and young people when something like that happens there is literally little to no uh you know there's very little legislation there's very little things that they can do if that person who's exploiting them is on the other side of the world or in another country or in another state as in Australia you know, it's it's okay if it's someone who lives, you know, locally in our current country, but if it's someone over the other side of the world, it's literally like, sorry, can't do anything. And some of these sex daughters and some of these people who are exploiting children are trying to ruin people's lives. They are 
that vindictive and nasty. They're that that they're they're just, you know, they're posting they a child who has been exploited, has been coerced, has been manipulated into providing exploitation material to, or, you know, self-generated material. This person is going to upload it onto the dark web and sell it. They're going to give it to someone else. They're going to put it into Pornhub. They're going to do something with it that could potentially, you know, really be damaging to a child's life or to a young person's life. I mean, I will never deny that there are people that are really concerned and they are doing something about it. Like Team Argos in Australia, it's yep. absolutely fantastic. Yeah, like they work internationally. They have collaboration approaches. I, there are still people that are fighting and they are they doing are. something. I will never say, oh no, we are doomed. Like no. I know, I know professionals that they really put all the effort, all yes. their sweat and blood in doing this. But the reality is that what we are facing is completely overwhelming and we it, don't have the means. It's a pandemic. That's, yeah. We that we never even really used that word until COVID, but here we are in a pand online pandemic that people aren't talking about or don't know about, and we yeah. and if they did, if they really knew what we knew, they would probably oh. be screaming, screaming. I see this with Aston Catcher when he created Thorn, the company that is dealing with online child sexual abuse. He created the company like around five years ago. And it was because he bumped into something like he bumped into a picture of imagine like we we dealt with thousands and thousands of pictures and he bumped into one picture and he thought this I can happen. I got to do something. And thanks to that, I'm grateful for that. I'm not yeah. saying that it's perfect, but at least he's trying to do something. Yeah. But like you said, like most of the people, if they were aware of how mastodontic this epidemic is, like they wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Like the public in general, they, they don't know. No, and they don't realize how little rights they have online. They don't realize oh, yeah. how little they actually like, you know, when I tell people that the minute you tick, I agree on any of the platforms doesn't matter what it is doesn't matter nope. where you're you've signed away the rights to everything you do from that moment forward and a lot of people no, are not aware children are not aware parents are not aware general people are not aware so you know i think people like us can all we can do is keep saying that keep reminding people you know i had a conversation with an adult the other day so Let's move on, and but still talking about the same thing. I had a conversation with a mum the other day or a couple of weeks ago, and the conversation was around posting the her child, her children's faces online and posting her children online. Now she has a public account and she and she's a very lovely mum, and I we had a very open conversation. She was posting about her parenting journey and parenting her kids, and and she'd been posting photos of her kids on her public Instagram. And I don't know how it came about, but I just said to her, hey, I would really reconsider posting publicly your children online. And she said to me, oh, you know, um, you know, I'm so proud of them. I love them. They're the best, you know, they're beautiful kids. And, you know, that it's part of what I do for my work. And, you know, because her business is related to her family. 
um, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I need to um, stop that. And I said to her, the my question was to her, I did it very kindly, who are you posting pictures of your kids for? Because Good question. Because we we all need to realise that when we post online, we have no control over those photos once they leave our phone or our device. They're no longer ours. Who are you posting those photos online for? Because you and I know that child sex predators and child offenders, child sex pedophiles, they collect innocent images of children. We know that. That's what they do. They love to collect them. Now they've got C, you know, CGC, CSAM, which, you know, computer generated CSAM, which can basically use any child's image to create child exploitation material and child abuse material. So That's even it. more so, why would we be, <laughs> your child's image is so, so uh, precious. Like now, if, if more parents knew that, they probably wouldn't post at all. I, I actually stopped posting my daughter a few years ago because when we started on the internet, when we started with Facebook and Meta and whoever they were back then, you know, Instagram, we didn't realize what they were doing with this stuff. We didn't know what they were doing. We just were sharing with our families, but we need to know. We hey, need why to know. would you why would you provide raw materials to these people? That's the question that I would ask. Like why would you provide this material, material that they were gonna enjoy, that they're gonna collect, compile, extract from your account to fulfill their wildest dreams? Like why? Like I have two brothers, both of them they have children and I'm like the family advisor. <laughs> like, <laughs> Me too. Whenever, like, I'm the whenever, family friend. When, yeah, whenever I'm the parental control, the living parental control. <laughs> like, like whenever, whenever they ask me a question about these, like you don't want to know. <laughs> you don't really want to know. It's like, no, no, you gotta tell me. You gotta tell me. And I'm very upfront. Like I'm very straightforward when it comes to talk about this subject because it's what i know it's yeah. it was it's what i'm interested in i had a meeting with high school friends a couple of weeks ago <laughs> i'm probably the only one that, yeah i'm probably the only one that doesn't have any children and of course they all have children yeah. and they wanted to ask me and they wanted to know and i like you don't even imagine you you don't have the mental capability to imagine what is going on out there and the only thing that I told them was like, don't ever do charenting. <laughs> like, please, yeah. like, please don't do that. Like you are damaging your children for life because you don't know how those images are going to be used. We and don't have a clue. Imagine, yeah. I do. I do this mental exercise and I think that it's something that it's dangerous, but at the same time, it really helps me to understand how to act. And it's like, Put yourself in the shoes of a predator. Yeah. What would you do? What would you do if you had social media or if you wanted to find content or if you wanted to groom a children? Like, what would you do? Like, and it's kind of hard because there's a part of me that has to inhabit that space in which you need to find something within you that tells you, oh, I'm attracted to children. So, how would I do something to magnetize and towards me? And it's like, okay, I would go, I will take the easiest path. 
Yeah. Like I will go to social media first. I will go to apps and websites that are populated by children. Yeah. That's what I would do. That would be the first step because some people think that it's, oh no, it's all in the dark web. But no, is that not. so that you can do your job now, your consulting job, you're, you're trying to put yourself in their shoes so that you can work out how to like teach people and protect kids. Is that what you're doing there? That's what I try to do sometimes, not all the times. Like sometimes I rely on the knowledge and expertise that I have accumulated throughout the years. Yeah. But there are times in which they ask me to find content. Like, yeah. where would you find content on this specific platform? And I'm like, okay, yeah. now it's when you have to wear the mask, like put put the clothes and say, okay, where I would go, what I would yeah. do. It's and no different that, to what a police officer or a, a you know a no. um, online um, you know online officer like they have to do the same thing where they have to put themselves in the shoes of a predator and they have to go okay where do they go where do they hang out what are they doing what are they you know how are they infiltrating you know children how are they because what parents don't understand well it's not all parents some parents are amazing um you know amazingly protective and understand this stuff but what the general pa- parent doesn't understand is is that these people they don't care about your children at all they don't care about you they don't care that your child hasn't if you know will have a future in the future they are just thinking about their own self-pleasure their own freaking agenda and they're going to go wherever your children are. They're going to do whatever they need to do. And one thing I always tell parents or people is that if you can abuse proof your child, if you can teach them all of the tools of what people do in these spaces, you know, or what to watch out for, then your child is, you know, almost abuse proof or like um, not abuse proof, but, you know, like they can't be groomed if they know what to watch out for, if they know what these people do. You know, and the groomers are going to go to the next kid, the one that doesn't know. So, you know, I I understand what you're saying about how you have to, like, put on this mask and become this person because that's what we had to do as detectives. That's what we have to do is, you know, online operatives have to do. They have to go and find these people, and that's what you were doing, basically. That's kind of it. But some people don't really understand that part of the job. Like, do you think that that's crazy? And it's like, crazy crazy is not doing anything that's what it's crazy crazy is yeah I, and you know i it's no different to me um i'm i'm a why person i want to know the why behind everything so when i was sitting across a table from a child sex offender i would ask why why have you done this why have you done that why did you you know i wanted to understand them so that i could I, that it, it would make more sense for me I, it sounds like you're a bit like that because you need to know what it's going through their mind. Yeah. Like, unless you understand the root cause of what is happening, you won't be able to see a holistic picture of everything. Like, that's that's what it matters for me. Like, it's not only about understanding what is happening from a reactive point of view. Yeah. You need to understand it from a proactive point of view. So if you want to prevent this from happening, you need to talk with people that are working with trauma people that are working with people that has been sexually abused like people that have been one one of the things that i've noticed and this is something that i've noticed thanks to friends that have been abused it's like we don't have a voice in this Mm. field we we are not asked 
what we would do yeah like to prevent this from happening or what would you do to implement changes on the platforms like and i like you, you're absolutely right and it, it really humbled me it was like yeah i'm here trying to do my thing even if i'm doing it pro bono like it doesn't really matter like i haven't been through that pain and yeah. i don't know what it is to be exposed online with your pictures and being re-victimized over and over and over again so these people will tell me like well one of the first things that i would do would be something as simple as safety by design Nobody cares about safety by design. Like it's good to window dress, to whitewash your operations. Yeah. But in reality, like safety by design is not really implemented. No. Like for real, with biometrics or whatever you want to do with your yeah. platform. And they will tell me, like, it wouldn't have happened to me if I had to go through all these hoops. Yeah. And like you're you're absolutely right. And I didn't know what to say. Because yeah. I don't have that perspective. So one of the things that I'm trying to do with some colleagues that are still either working for these companies or in different ways with psychologists and people working from law enforcement like yourself, it's create a space in which we can have these conversations, like speak our minds. Yeah. Like instead of being constrained by the limitations that yeah. you have when you are working within the forces or when yeah. you're working within the companies because you know that there are many things that you cannot say yeah it's yeah. It, it, it is what it is they are paying you so you cannot say that yeah but if you are not limited by those boundaries and you have a space in which you can exchange ideas and knowledge for real not the cross <laughs> collaboration knowledge that we talk so much in all these spaces yeah. and conferences. I because I'm really fed up of that. Like it's because at the end of the day it's only about selling your product. Yeah. Or or bragging about what you think that you've done. I'm talking about real conversations. So I'm trying to promote this and there's maybe hope in the near future. We are trying to create this space. We will be held in a conference in London very yeah, soon. I saw that. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Like I'm not saying that it's the perfect solution, but at least it's one step towards that solution. What do you think that users need to do in order to ha- push or motivate these companies to change? Like quit social media. <laughs> quit social media. Everyone quit it. <laughs> No more social media. Look, I I really, I agree with you. Like the the safety by design thing. Um, I know our e-safety commissioner in Australia has put, uh, like put a lot of pressure on um, the social media companies about safety by design. I think there's not enough, um, you know, you don't have to have enough identification in order to get a social media account, which is another issue because our young people can just sign up, pretend to be whatever age they are, and next thing yeah. they've got an account, that's a problem. You know, there's um, w- one of the other things that's happening in Australia is um, age verification. Eventually it'll ha- come into p- age verification for uh, pornography sites because at the moment anyone can get onto pornography sites in Australia and I'm sure it's, it's the same everywhere. You know, it would be good. It, we need to hold people accountable because our kids aren't safe online. They're not safe. No. 
there's no safety in place for them. There's no safety net. There's nothing going to catch them. There's nothing going to fix it for them. There's no way, you know, you've got no, but from what you're saying, there's really no one who's going to help them if they get caught in that, um, in that rabbit trap or that trap. Maybe if they're lucky, Maybe they will be lucky. one of the lucky, if they're one of the lucky ones that get chosen and their request is reviewed, but it's not what usually happens. No. And that's, that's the saddest part. So for me, prevention is paramount. It's one of the first things that should be tackled, like prevention, awareness, like exactly what you're doing, Christy. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. Like, that's what we have to do because we've been working on the trenches. Like, yeah. we know what it is. So that's all we can bring to the table. Yeah. Like, so far, like, for me, the most fulfilling part is just receiving emails or messages telling me like thank you thank you for bringing this awareness to the table because no nobody tells about like small things like small symbols that the pedophiles are using things like that keywords that they are using or sites that they're visiting in order to get all their information but this is not something that happens from one day to the other this is a process of normalization like yeah. like you said before like you start with ease of access to porn and then you become desensitized to extreme things and little by little yeah. it erodes that entry that barrier of entry that you have in your brain that tells you that that's not in alignment with your values that that's not okay and then you go to more extreme and more yeah. extreme and then one day you bump into child sexual exploitation yeah, and you think that it's okay. Yeah. And from and, that moment, it's yeah. I spiral downwards. So. Yeah. And on that topic, we had, we do have some, um, where I went to uh, the conference in Australia or oh, in, in Queensland in April, Task Force Argos did a, they do a conference every year and I went to it and one of the, um, the research scientist from the University of Criminology, he's re- he's going to be releasing his study very shortly. I think it's being peer-reviewed right now. But he was saying that uh, he, he managed to get 10,000 anonymous men to do this survey. And, I, and it was funny. They asked him, how did you get them to do this survey? And he paid them. So he did this survey where 10,000 men basically were surveyed over their uh, attraction to children. And the research on that is phenomenal in that it gave us such a good indication on on how this starts. And one of the things that was the key indicator was pornography usage, paid pornography usage. They will pay for it. Bestiality, extreme porn. So anything that is beyond what normal pornography, is, is there such a thing as normal pornography? I don't know. But those were the key indicators of spiraling down into child exploitation and child abuse. So um, you know, it, it was, yeah, the, once this re- research paper comes out, it will be really worthwhile looking at. But, um, you know, the people who were using or were abusing children and purchasing and, and viewing child exploitation material, child abuse material, were those who started with pornography, with extreme pornography but and bestiality. But, but, but you see, it's, you don't need a study to understand that. It's no. common sense. 
I know, like, but it's at least in seeing, writing now. <laughs> <laughs> it's that if you are seeing this from the bird's eye perspective, yeah, like it's just one plus one equals two. Two, yeah, like, I know. But everyone I, doesn't see that like we do. See, for instance, you know, like I knew from my experiences and from all of these people I'd talked to and all of these abusers that I had interviewed and all of that, I knew that that's what would what well my experience no one put it into um even you know simple terms for me but I was I'm an observer of human nature like you you know we observe things we put them together and we go hey that seems to be like what they're doing this is we need to keep an eye out on this right and that's how I got into this space I was like doesn't why is no one talking about this stuff why is no one like bringing this stuff to the attention because I can see with that this is what happens, but it's we had a very um not lucky, but we had a obviously a bird's eye view. We could see what was going on and we could put it all together. But yeah, to us that's normal. Like we can see that that's what that led to. But everyday people, you know, they make excuses for other people's behavior, and they they I, don't pull it up. I posted very recently an article on LinkedIn talking about the childification of porn, like how little yes. by little we become used to see activities on porn sites in yes. which they are depicted underage minors. And I've seen this happening for, for years and it's something that you don't even realize. It's so surreptitious in how yeah. it works. Like little by little, it's eroding that barrier that you have in your mind. And I've seen it. And when I talk about this, like some people feel that it resonates with them. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you, you're right. But most of the people, they don't really get it. It's like, mm. I don't know what you mean, because they become so used to it. But now it's like, yeah, exactly. I mean, you have anime, you have manga, which is something that has been populating the minds of all the people for 20 something years since it started like creeping out in Western communities, like in Western countries, like we didn't have that before, but in Japanese culture, it's completely normalized to mm. see mangas or anime of adults abusing children. And that makes them think, because you could see in the laws that they have in that country, you, you can see that it's like, well, it's part of the culture. Yeah, right. But it's not. That's not a normal behavior. Yeah. But but you see how that's keeping out in our societies as well. And I'm not saying this, like, I don't want to be, like, better of bad news. Like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is going to destroy our Western society. I don't want to sound yeah. catastrophic or apocalyptic. But it's something that has been happening for years. And now you can see that it's been filtered out to porn as well. Yes. You have all these preteen, teen sex, like all these labels that they are using. Yeah. And yeah, I know, I know that the excuse that they are using is like, yeah, but they are not real teens. And it's like, oh, really? I know. <laughs> I know that they're not real teens, but what you're doing is normalize that behavior. Yeah. Like you and not you, only you that. Make, you make it... yeah, not only the teen stuff, like there's a lot of that, but that that incestuous stuff, like uh, you know, uh, steps, stepmom and son and, uh, you know, all of this stuff, you know, it's just normalizing the abuse of children, really. Yeah. 
And then you have the other side that it's that most of these platforms, they host content that it's real abuse. Real like abuse. Yeah, we know abuse. that. We know we know that of Pornhub, and you know we know that there's lots of lawsuits around this stuff. Um, you know, there's lawsuits where they've asked, and and again, there's a project in Canada. I think it's called. Um, oh, what's it called? Um, where they're, they're basically um, the the abuse of three women. It must be the Jane Doe project, I think it's called. And the abu- the be. abuse of three children. Um, they had, you know, that they their child abuse material that was done to them was uploaded onto places like Pornhub and stuff like that. And they um and I can't remember the statistics. You'd have to look it up. Someone will have to go and look it up if you're really interested. But basically, these three women have been studied their child abuse material of them when they were children, they were now adults and they are tracking how many times these videos and these um, these movies have been downloaded and uh, uploaded and all of this stuff. So these three women are part of this project and one of the things that it's, it's like in the tens of millions and billions of times that these movies these child abuse material movies that are over 10 15 years old have been uploaded and downloaded and shared and they're they're tracking these three women's videos with their consent it's they're part of this project and it's just this is what we're talking about it's not just the consumption of child abuse material online you know some people justify their use of it as oh well I'm you know I'm not hurting children but there is a child that has been hurt and there is children who have been who will continue to be hurt whilst people are consuming this material and that's what what I want people to stop and think about and that's what I challenge people on you know there is no safe usage of this material there is no safe usage of child abuse material or the depiction of child abuse material yeah. So, yeah. Using this, using the excuse of the observer, it's so easy. It's so easy. It's like if you were walking down the street and you saw someone that is being assaulted or robbed, and you were like, "Well, yeah, but I'm not doing any harm. Like I'm just watching." Yeah. Like for me, for me, it's That's kind a good of way to put it. Am- amounts to the same. It's like so you don't, you wouldn't do anything. Like <laughs> I'm not saying that you wouldn't you help the child. Like, like I, I'm not saying that you should be a hero, like because that's other side of the question. Like people yeah. that think that in cold that they will be heroes, and then in reality, and I'm okay. saying this as an army veteran as well. Like people think that we are, we all think that we are heroes, and then when we are facing a real situation, it's like you're not a hero, you're a human being. Yeah, and you, you will be a coward sometimes. You would be a hero sometimes, yeah. and sometimes you would be nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. So it's a, a reality that we have to face. But at least in a hypothetical scenario in which we are facing this conundrum and we are seeing ourselves like, okay, I'm not doing any harm if I'm watching these videos. You are doing harm to that victim. Like that person, that person is seeing themselves being victimized over and over and over because you are consenting to see these videos or these yeah. pictures. Yeah. And I remember one of the last videos that I faced when I was working for one of these companies. I was trying to find content from an account in a Russian-based platform. And we were trying to find CSAN content. And 
I can't even describe the video and I don't want to get into details because I don't want to scare people. But the content was, she was around four and the guy that was over her was around 45, 46. And the, really, the thing that really gets into your soul, that really hunts you down every single day, it's their eyes. Their, their eyes are dead. And if you are a human being, if you have a little of empathy, it's like you don't want to see that no. being done to another human being because it destroys you. And that's, that's a reality that people should face. It's like you should know and you should see what I've seen, even if it's one image, so you can understand what is happening and that it shouldn't be happening. And I know that some people advocate for reaction and I do understand that because it's very emotional. Like if you see a children near heart, but there has to be prevention as well. There has to be a way to stop this from happening before it happens because reacting it's too late, always too late. 100%. And we, we both know that. Yeah. The, the damage is done. The child is traumatized for the rest of their lives. They, they live with yeah. the abuse for the rest of their lives. You know, any of the survivors, um, that I've met, you know, that it, it is never done. You live with it for the rest of your life. And in Australia specifically, our judicial system does not have adequate sentencing. It does not, you know, you know, one of the cases that I talk about in my book, she was four years old. And so I know exactly what uh, you're talking about. And four years old and he got six years in Australia and he's out in four and he's just about to get parole, four years for abusing a four-year-old. And I know that that's hard for people to understand and hear, but this is what this is the reality of child abuse in our world. This is the reality, and people need to wake up and hear it. Absolutely. Like you could so, more with them. So, Serg, I think the main thing I would want, I mean, we've had a really deep and... <laughs> probably a depressing topic that discussion for some people for us it's this is a reality this is what we do every day this is what we face every day and we get up every day with the and I feel hope in my heart because I know that we are trying to prevent this from happening and that is where I put my attention I put my attention on prevention and and awareness because that is where I know that we can make a difference we can make a difference by giving survivors a, um, a voice and helping them heal with it by by doing what we're doing and giving them somewhere to go. So my last question for you is if, uh, you know, I, I say in my book and, and what kept me writing my book, um, so I wrote my book like it took two years because I was dealing with PTSD in the whole time whilst I was writing it. So it took a long time, you know, healing whilst I was writing and it was a good thing to do. But one of the things that I kept thinking is if parents knew what I knew, they would do things differently. And I know that we've talked mm -hmm. a lot about a lot of things. So what do you, what's one thing that you want parents to know that you know that would make them do things differently? Communication. Keep an open communication channel with your children. Talk to them. Be their friend. Be their parent. That's the most important and basic thing that they can do. Like I have 
deep conversations with my nieces. Yeah. Since they were 10, 11, 12. Since like, they could understand they the stuff. They, and they know better than you. Yeah. They know way much better than you. And when you tell them, listen, this is what's going on. You should be careful. You should be checking this and that. And if someone sends you a direct message and they want to get in touch with you and you don't know their age, you don't know anything about them, be very careful. Tell me or tell your father. They they prefer to tell me, of course, because yeah. I'm not as scary as their parents. But <laughs> Having <laughs> a safe, well, what you're saying is having a safe adult, someone that you can talk about this stuff with who isn't going to judge them, who's just going to listen and offer you know, good advice is probably the safest way for kids, for teens, because we all stuff up, right? We all yeah. have moments of like where we do stupid things. It's unfortunately now our teens are doing it online where it lasts forever. Yeah, just an ear, a compassionate ear. That's all they need. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's going to that's gonna prevent like so many things <laughs> from happening down the road. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people in our space say the same thing, like, you know, just cultivate an open, honest, loving relationship with your kids, you know, listen to them, you know, be ready because they, we, we're all, uh, we all make mistakes. It just when I was growing up and I don't know about you, Serge, but uh, when I was growing up, we didn't have phones that, you know, recorded everything we did, all the stupid stuff we did. Nope. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> so we were, like, we were the lucky ones, but, you know, our kids aren't so lucky. But, you know, I've got a teenage daughter and, and we've, I, she's known about this stuff since she was 10, 11, 12, you know, that there is dangerous people out there, there that there is online predators, that they do, you know, prey on kids and they will ask you for things and just giving them that information. It's not, it's not scaring them it's preparing them because that's the world they live in would you agree yeah they need to be prepared that's priority number one yeah i really thank you and um you know from the bottom of my heart i i think that you've done an amazing job and yes you're doing pro bono work but i can see somewhere someone is going to snaffle you up or you're going to end up you know creating your own company or something where you can you know do this work and you know and survive because <laughs> this world's not cheap. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. Now, Serge, if people wanted to like reach out to you, where are you mainly? Your uh, we we know each other on LinkedIn. Is that where you're mostly sharing stuff these days? Not not mostly. That's the only one place in which <laughs> I'm present. So, like, I, yeah. this is something that comes from my investigative days. Like, I don't yeah. have any social media to be to not be exposed. Yeah. So nobody can track me down, but I'm mostly on LinkedIn. Like if someone yeah. wants to find me, I'm I'm there. They can reach out to me there. Are you okay if I put your uh, LinkedIn details in the show notes? Of course, Bullfighter. Okay. fighter. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, look, I I don't think people understand just how much uh how much you know. Like people don't understand just how obviously you're like me. You've you've done your work you paid your time even if it was five years it was probably like 50 in the trenches yeah. <laughs> so yeah it was. please please listen to everything that Serge said and, and realize that um we we share all of this information because we care about your kids and we we don't want to see them you know in this situation well thank you That's again it. and um i will it's been a pleasure 
thank you for the conversation. Real pleasure. You take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Education empowers children and empowers parents and education prevents abuse. That is why I'm here and that is why you are here. So thank you. If you want any further information or support, follow me on social media, either under Christy McVie or KPAU social media accounts. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can also purchase a signed copy of my book, Operation Kids Safe, via the website at www.cape-au.com. Also on my website is a free ebook titled 10 Tips to Keep Your Kids Safe from Abuse and self-paced courses for parents to help you in your journey of child abuse prevention. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group called Operation Kids Safe Parenting Group. Please see the show notes for any extra information, links and help should you be looking for extra support. Thank you once again for giving a shit about preventing child sexual abuse. See you next time.